Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to season two of the Umayyad Caliphate, presented by Islamic History Exclusive. I'm your host, Mutaki Ismail, and this is episode 2-1. Before we get into the episode, let's do a brief recap of the previous season of the Umayyad Caliphate. Well, last season, we picked up after the defeat of Ibn Zubair in the year 72 AH. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan of Banu Umayyah was the caliph. At the same time, the Azadika Khawadij, who were a big problem during Ibn Zubair's time, were still an issue in Iraq and Persia. Over in Khurasan, there was another issue, but this time it was a conflict between two members of Banu Tamim. These were two individuals named Bukir and Bahir. We'll discuss their conflict in more depth in a few minutes. In order to resolve this issue in Khurasan, Abdul Malik sent a member of the Quraysh, a man named Umayya ibn Abdullah, as governor of Khurasan to bring unity there. Abdul Malik also appointed a man named Hajjaj ibn Yusuf as governor of Iraq in the year 75 AH. And Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was giving command over the cities of Kufa and Basra, really the provinces of Kufa and Basra. However, his authority was excluded from Khurasan and Sijistan. There were also two prominent commanders, one named Muhallab and another named Ibn Mihnaf. They were charged with leading the fight against the Azadika Khawarij in Persia. We have discussed the Azadika Khawarij and Muhallab in our Ibn Zubair series, so if you need to know the origins of those two entities, then I advise you to go and start from there, inshallah. During this battle against the Khawarij, they managed to kill Ibn Mihnaf, and so eventually Abdul Malik appointed Muhallab to lead the entire campaign against the Azadika Khawarij. Saleh ibn Musarrih was from the Jazeera region of the Middle East. This is where Iraq, Syria, and Turkey all come together. Saleh ibn Musarrih, he organized his Khawarij cell to overthrow the Umayyads. And in this organization, he managed to recruit a disgruntled Umayyad soldier, a former Umayyad soldier named Shabib ibn Yazid, who was from Mosul. This new Khawarij group plotted to kill Caliph Abdul Malik during the Hajj pilgrimage, but that plan failed. And so they went to their backup plan, which was simply to rebel against the Umayyad Caliphate. They launched their rebellion in 76 AH with only 150 men. However, Saleh ibn Musarrih, he used surprise attacks, hit and run attacks, and other guerrilla tactics to defeat the Umayyad army in the northern part of the Middle East. This is, of course, the Jazeera region. After defeating the Umayyad army in the north, Saleh ibn Musarri and his Khawarij group, they headed south towards where modern Baghdad is. Remember, this is during the Umayyad period, so Baghdad did not exist yet. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, this was now his territory, so he sent an army of 3,000 soldiers after this small group of Khawarij, which was only about 150 men, as we mentioned. The Umayyad army 
defeated the Khawarij and they even killed the leader of the Khawarij group, Saleh ibn Musarrih. However, Saleh's protege, the disgruntled former Umayyad soldier Shabib ibn Yazid, he took over the Khawarij and the remaining members of the Khawarij group, there were only about 70 now, and they escaped. And after they escaped the battle, they then attacked the Umayyads at night, and this was the beginning of a recurring trend. Shabib and the remaining Khawarij, they would plunder the Iraqi countryside, they would attack different towns. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf would, would conscript an army, he would force the men of Basra and Kufa to join the army at the pain of death. I mean, literally at the pain of death, they had to go into the army. And then he would send them out into the desert to find the Khawarij and fight against them. However, Shabib and the Khawarij would use guerrilla tactics to outwit this Umayyad army. These conscripts were not very motivated. They were only fighting because they had no other choice. It was either fight or die. Over and over again, the Khawarij, a small band of Khawarij, would defeat Umayyad armies 10, 20, 30 times their size, over and over again. The Khawarij were able to do this because they were fighting an unmotivated army. They used surprise tactics, they used divide and conquer tactics, and this went on for several months with the Khawarij constantly defeating every army that Hajjaj ibn Yusuf sent their way. Finally, in 77 AH, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf got tired of getting beat consistently by the Khawarij and he reached out to the Caliph Abdul Malik and requested troops from Syria to help him. Abdul Malik obliged and finally Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was able to defeat Shabib and his Khawarij band. There were two other major events in the year 77 AH. We mentioned one already, that was the defeat of Shabib and the Khawarij, but there were two others. There was another rebellion, this time led by a man named Mutarrif ibn Murira ibn Shubba, who was the son of a companion, Murira ibn Shubba. Mutarrif's rebellion was defeated by the Umayyads. And the other major event was that Muhallab finally cornered the Azadika Khawarij, which had plagued the Muslim world for years now. He finally cornered them at Tabaristan, which is near the Black Sea, and he defeated them for good. In addition to these discussions regarding the Khawarij and Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and Abdul Malik and all, we also devoted three episodes last season to specific topics that were important during the Umayyad Caliphate. We discussed the history of Masjid al-Aqsa. We discussed the role of the Qadi or the judge during the Umayyad period. And we also discussed the relationship between Muslims and Christians in the early Umayyad period. We went into great depth in all three of these topics. I encourage you to go listen to season one if you missed any of them. So let's return back to the eastern provinces of the Umayyad Caliphate. There are still problems going on in Khorasan. As we mentioned, there are two men, both from the same tribe, both from Banu Tamim, one named Bahir, one named Bukir, and they hated each other, and their respective clans hated each other as well. These two men were constantly trying to find ways to undermine each other. And each of them were supported by their respective clans, even though they belonged to the same tribe, Banu Tamim. Well, at some point in time, Bukir rebelled against the governor of Khorasan, Umayyah ibn Abdullah. But 
he was eventually pardoned. Later on, however, his rival, the other guy from Barutamin, Bahir later accused him of plotting another rebellion and the governor believed him. And so rather than pardon him as he had done before, the governor had him arrested and had Bukir turned over to Bahir and his clan killed him. However, by this time, Abdul Malik is getting tired of the governor of Khorasan. Umayy ibn Abdullah was not making a lot of progress in Central Asia, and he had been defeated by several local Uzbek tribes. And Abdul Malik decided to remove him, depose him in favor of a new governor. So Caliph Abdul Malik decided to add Khorasan to Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's domain. So far, he had defeated two different groups of Khawarij, the one that Muhalib had defeated by the Black Sea, the Azadika Khawarij, as well as the group led by Shabib ibn Yazid. So evidently, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf has seemed to impress Abdul Malik more than Umayya ibn Abdullah had in Khorasan. So Khurasan became part of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's domain as well. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he rewarded Muhalab, the one who had defeated the Azarika Khawarij. He rewarded Muhalab by making him his sub-governor or local governor, I guess maybe the best way to put it, by making him the local governor of Khurasan and Sijistan. However, Muhalab was still answerable to Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and he could be deposed by Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. But this was a vast territory. We're talking about going from uh, Central Asia, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, um, parts of Afghanistan even, um, all the way through Persia, which is now modern Iran, and then into Iraq. This was a lot of territory for one man to cover. So it was necessary for Hajjaj ibn Yusuf to divide this territory that was technically his, according to the caliph, Abdul Malik. There was no way he could manage all of this at this point in time without having some trusted people working under him. And so he appointed Muhalab as governor of Khurasan and Sijistan. However, Muhalab said he didn't want Sijistan, and so it went to another man named Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakra. Not Ibn Abu Bakr, the caliph, the first caliph, no, Ibn Abi Bakr. Abi Bakr was a companion also, not on the level of Abu Bakr, but he was still a companion. He was a former slave who, who performed as a physician as well and also treated Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ubaidullah was his son. So Ubaidullah Ibn Abi Bakr became the governor of Sijistan under the authority of Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf. And we discussed all of this in the previous season in a little bit more depth. So if you need more details, of course, go listen to season one of the Umayyad Caliphate. So Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakr, he led a campaign into Zabulistan, which is now southern Afghanistan. He faced a lot of hardship in this region, though he did not manage to inflict that much damage on the Afghans in this region. He got lured into a trap where the Zunbils, which is what the local people were called at that time, the Zunbils, there seems to have been a miscommunication with the Arabic writing during in the text of Atariq of Tabari at this time. And so it's not certain if the name of these people were Zunbil or Rutbil. And if you can read Arabic, you'll know how Zunbil could possibly be mistaken as Rutbil, depending on the dots. So, won't get into that deeply, but I like the word Zunbil. It's why I, it's, 
what I found to be more common in the text that I have. So we're going to go with the word Zunbil, and Allah knows best what their true name really was. We can also call them Afghans. That's what, that's what they were. They're almost certainly the predecessors of modern-day Afghans. So Allah knows best what they really were. Anyway, Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakr got lured into a trap where the Zunbils cut off his retreat, that is the local pre-Islamic Afghans, cut off his retreat and got him surrounded. In order to escape and not massacred, Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakr had to pay the Zunbils 700,000 dirhams, which was a fortune back then. And he also had to leave three hostages behind before they finally allowed him to leave. And so Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakr, at the head of this Umayyad army, barely made it back to Muslim territory alive. Muhallab, who was the governor of Khurasan under Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's authority, Muhallab also led campaigns into Uzbekistan and Tajikistan, and he had much more success than his counterpart in Sijistan. Now, while on campaign, remember, we still have that conflict within Banu Tamim. This is all taking place in Khurasan, which is under Muhallab's authority right now. A relative of the man who was killed, the man named Bukir, who was killed by his rival from Banu Tamim, a relative of his named Sasa'a, he managed to trick and fool his way into Bahir's trust. That was the rival's trust. And if these names are getting confusing, I can only say go back and listen to the episode and get the full details. Well, Sasa'a managed to gained by his confidence, managed to talk his way into his close companionship, and Sa'asa'a killed Bahir in retaliation for killing his relative Bukir. When Muhallab found out he was the governor of Khurasan, he turned Sa'asa'a over to Bahir's relatives, who in turn killed him as well. So that kind of ended the rivalry between these two men for some time. Muhallab once again was on campaign in Uzbekistan and Tajikistan. And during this period of time, he received a letter from another Umayyad general, a man named Abdurrahman ibn Muhammad ibn al-Ash'ath. Abdurrahman ibn, ibn Muhammad ibn al-Ash'ath, whom we'll just call ibn al-Ash'ath most of the time, invited Muhallab in this letter to rebel against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Abdurrahman ibn al-Ash'ath and Hajjaj ibn Yusuf hated each other. We discussed many of the reasons why these two men hated each other in the final episode of season one of the Umayyad Caliphate. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was upset about Ubaidullah ibn Abi Bakr's retreat from Afghanistan. So Hajjaj ibn Yusuf decided to take care of many things at once. He decided to go back into Afghanistan and get that territory that he wanted to conquer, as well as get rid of his rival, or at least get his rival out of Iraq and as far away as possible. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf ordered Abdurrahman ibn Ashath to take over this massive army that he had built. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf spent a lot of money organizing this very large, very powerful, very well-decked-out army that was so impressive, people called it the Peacock Army. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf put Ibn al-Ashath in charge of the Peacock Army and ordered him to continue the campaign in Zabulistan, in Afghanistan. 
Ibn al-Ashaf, he took the army, the Peacock Army, headed into Afghanistan, and he made some very good progress against the Zunbils. He went deep into their territory. Ibn al-Ashaf, in the previous season, in season one of the Umayyad Caliphate, he had also been sent out to tackle the Khawadij when they were rampaging through Iraq. And his method of fighting was very slow, very methodical, very thought out, very detailed. He was a very deliberate commander. And so he made slow progress against the Khawadish and Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, who didn't really like him in the first place, deposed him and put someone else who was going to take quicker and more immediate action. It didn't work, but it shows you just what kind of commander Ibn al-Ash'af was. Well, now that he's in the mountains of Afghanistan, Ibn al-Ash'af's methods are doing very well. He's taking his time. He's not rushing into all of these traps that the Zumbils have set up. He is gaining a lot of territory. He is wreaking havoc on the Zumbils in Afghanistan. So after he had gained a whole lot of territory, he wanted to wait a year because he had gone deep into Afghanistan, give his army time to rest, recuperate, establish his authority in the region, consolidate his gains, and make Afghanistan safe for Muslim settlers. Basically have Muslim Arabs or Muslims from other parts of the Umayyad Caliphate move to Afghanistan and increase the ratio of Muslims and Arabs, let's not forget about that, and Arabs in this region. And that's where we ended season one of the Umayyad Caliphate. And now we're going to pick up season two, inshallah. Before we get into season two, or before we get into the new information of season two, let's do a brief overview of what you can expect for season two of the Umayyad Caliphate. Inshallah, my intention is to cover the years 700 CE to 715 CE, which is roughly 77 AH to 92 AH, roughly 15 years from 77 to 92 after the Hijrah. We will discuss the remainder of Abdul Malik's caliphate, as well as the caliphate of his son, Al-Walid ibn Abdul Malik. And just like season one, we are going to spend a lot of time in the eastern provinces of the Umayyad Caliphate. This seems to be the main focus of Tariq Tabari. He lived many years after the Umayyads, but he lived primarily in Baghdad. And so perhaps he had just had more information about that area. But we will have to use other sources for the other parts of the Umayyad Caliphate, such as the Western Provinces, North Africa, and of course, Al-Andalus. The main character in this story is going to be Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. His legacy and his shadow is very wide across this part of the Muslim world at this time. And we're going to discuss a lot of the impact that he had on building the Muslim world as controversial of a character as he was, he was very critical for the spread of Islam. Now, in the final episode of the previous season, as we mentioned, we left off with Ibn Ashad inviting Muhallab to rebel against Hajjaj. In this season, we're going to go deep into that rebellion. We're going to discuss it in depth and see what came of it. I won't tell you, no spoilers yet though. You can pick up any history book and figure out what exactly what happened. Even if you don't pick up the history book, you can probably figure out what happened just by the state of the world that we live in right now. We will also discuss, inshallah, Arab Muslim expansion into Sindh, which is modern Pakistan right now. And we'll also discuss Abdul Malik's and Al-Walid's annual campaigns against the Byzantines. 
And we will also get a chance to look at the rise of Muhallab's dynasty. We mentioned in the Ibn Zubair series that Muhallab was actually the founder of a very influential, powerful, and famous Muslim family. We are just seeing the beginnings of it now. If you want to know the beginnings of Muhallab and get his story from the very early start, I will suggest going to episode five of the Ibn Zubair series and going from there. That's the first time that he becomes important in the story that we're telling of the Islamic Caliphate. So now let's get into this rebellion led by Abdurrahman Ibn Muhammad Ibn Asha. First, why did Ibn Asha decide to rebel against Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf? Well, according to the famous Muslim historian Baladuri, Ibn Ashad has set up his headquarters in Bast, which is in central Afghanistan. This was about 88 miles west of Kabul. His brother was based in a village called Ar-Rukhaj, which the best that I can determine seems to be near modern-day Kandahar, and Allah knows best. Ibn Ashad's intention was to consolidate the territory he had captured in Afghanistan. As we mentioned, he had made great progress, but he didn't want to overextend himself and not really have full authority on all this territory that he captured. However, while Ibn Ashad was trying to consolidate this territory, the Khawadij in Afghanistan encouraged the Zunbils, the local Afghans, to launch a counterstrike against him. This time, the Zun Bills did very well against Ibn Ash'ath and got very close to undoing all of the progress that he had made. And this completely ruined his plans to consolidate the territory that he had captured in Afghanistan. So Ibn Ash'ath, he consulted with his commanders and with the influential Arabs living in the region, and they eventually came to the idea that they needed to negotiate some sort of peace with the Zunbils so that they could have an opportunity to actually consolidate this territory and make it under Islamic and Muslim authority. So Ibn Ashath, he wrote a letter back to his commander, Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf, explaining the situation, how the Zunbils had counterstruck against him and were close to turning back all of the progress that they had made. And he informed Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf of this idea he had to make peace with the Zunbils temporarily so that he could consolidate his territory. So let's read Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf's reply to Ibn Ashath. To continue... Your letter has reached me, and I have understood what you mentioned in it. Your letter is the letter of a man who wants a truce and is pleased with reconciliation, having blandished a lowly and slight foe. They have struck down Muslim troops whose performance was good and whose capacity in the cause of Islam was mighty. By your life, O son of the mother of Abdurrahman, if you hold back from the enemy with my troops and arms, you will be heedless of those Muslims who were struck down. I do not consider the decision you claim to have reached to be based on a stratagem. I think that all that impels you to do that is your weakness and your confused judgment. So do what I order you to do, penetrating far into their territory, destroying their fortresses, killing their fighting men, and taking their children captive. In the follow-up letter to that, Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf then adds on, To continue, Order the Muslims who are with you to till the soil and settle. That is your abode until God grants you victory over them. And then Hajjaj ibn Yusuf sends another letter following that up. To continue, 
Do what I ordered you to do and penetrate far into their territory. Otherwise, your brother, Ishaq ibn Muhammad, is to be the emir of the people, and you are to let him have that which I have appointed you. So Ibn Ashath obviously did not like this, these responses, these multiple responses from Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So he called another council of his commanders and advisors and the influential people with him in Afghanistan to discuss Hajjaj's letter, and the people like him were also upset. So Ibn Ashath stated that they were basically in a no-win situation. Judging from these letters they had received from Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, he intended for them to spend the rest of their lives in Afghanistan and never return home to their families in Iraq. Ibn Asha stated that if they won, if they were able to defeat the Zunbils, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf would take the spoils. He was the governor of the territory. And if they lost, then they'd be humiliated and shamed when they returned back home. So Ibn Asha suggested that they rebel against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf and remove him from power in Iraq. Another man stood up seconding what Ibn Ashaf said and saying that Hajjaj ibn Yusuf was going to make them stay in Afghanistan for good, which none of these men wanted to do. They were from Iraq. They wanted to go back home with their wives and children. And eventually all of the men in this gathering, or at least most of them, supported Ibn Ashaf and supported his decision to rebel against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. They gave him the bayah, or the pledge. And at this point of time, their intention was only to rebel against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. There was nothing said about Caliph Abdul Malik or Maya dynasty in general. Ibn Ashaf, he appointed his own governors over the different parts of Afghanistan that he currently controlled. And regardless of what... Hajjaj ibn Yusuf had ordered him to do. He went on ahead and made peace with the Zunbils of Afghanistan anyway. And the terms of the peace deal were very interesting. If Ibn Ashath defeated Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, then the Zunbils, the local non-Muslim Afghans at this time, would not have to pay the Kharaj or the land tax, which was generally applied on pretty much everyone, but especially non-Muslims during this period of time under the Umayyad Caliphate. And if Ibn Ashath was defeated, then the Zunbils would provide him refuge if necessary. Those are the agreements or the terms of the peace deal between Ibn Ashath and the Zunbils. So Ibn Ashath got this big army that Hajjaj Ibn Yusuf had decked out and supplied for him, this peacock army, and they headed west to go remove Hajjaj ibn Yusuf from power in Iraq. You can look at any map and you can tell that to go from Afghanistan to Iraq, you kind of have to pass through Iran. And so as they're going through Persia, they stop in certain cities where the Muslims are pretty much in control or that are under Umayyad authority. They first stopped in a city called Kirman, which is in south central Iran. Most of the people there joined Ibn Ashaf, though not all of them, but most of them did. They overthrew, kicked out the Umayyad governor, and Ibn Ashaf appointed his own governor there. They moved on then to Fars, which is in southwestern Iran, and the people there joined him as well. While in Fars, however, things sort of changed for this rebellion that Ibn Ashaf is leading. Ibn Ashath met with the people in Fars, and someone there suggested that if you're rebelling against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, then 
you're actually also rebelling against his boss, Caliph Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. So it was in Fars, in Iran, that the rebellion against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf became a rebellion against Caliph Abdul Malik ibn Marwan. Ibn Ashath and his followers and then took a new vow, a new pledge to remove what they called Imamatul Dalala or the Imams of Error or the Imams of Misguidance. They also began calling Caliph Abdul Malik names. They called him Abu the Ban, Abu the Ban, which means a father of the flies. Apparently, Abdul Malik had a problem with bad breath. And as you know, flies are attracted to things that don't smell nice. And so behind his back, he seemed to have been called the father of the flies. Allah knows best. Now, in season one, we did mention, and as we mentioned earlier today as well, that Muhallab had received a letter from Ibn Ash'ath inviting him to join his rebellion against Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Well, Muhallab wrote back to Ibn Ash'ath advising him not to do this, not to rebel against the Umayyads, not to spill Muslim blood. He said that it would be bad for him personally, bad for Ibn Ash'ath, because he would almost certainly be defeated and that he would be killed once he was defeated. And it would also be bad for the Muslim community, of course, for obvious reasons. Muhallab then also wrote to Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, warning him about this rebellion that was coming his way. Muhallab advised Hajjaj ibn Yusuf in his letter not to fight the rebels, not to fight the peacock army until they'd entered Kufa. Muhallab knew the nature of men, and he knew that once the army was back in Kufa, the men would be back with their families, and they would lose all interest in rebellion. And that's why he advised Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, let them get back to Kufa, get back with their families, don't go out and fight them in Iran or outside of Kufa or Basra. Well, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, being the man that he was, completely ignored Muhallab's advice. He took a very cynical position on Muhallab's advice. He thought Muhallab was trying to gain some sort of advantage for himself. We'll see how that turned out in the next episode, inshallah. So Hajjaj ibn Yusuf is well aware that this rebellion is coming. He knows that this gigantic army that he built up is now coming to overthrow him. He has a letter from Muhallab. He has the Umayyad loyalists in Iran who came back and told him what had happened. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf is fully aware of the danger that is coming towards him from the east. In the next episode, inshallah, we will discuss Hajjaj ibn Yusuf's response to Ibn Ash'ath's rebellion. But until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.